Without any further adieu, what I'd like to do is go through these common masses, beginning with the masses of a martyr bishop. This is the church's first one, uh, martyr bishop. Um, the name the, the, these masses are named. They're given a Latin name. Usually, it's the first or the first and second um, words of the intro to the mass. So, this is the first mass for martyr bishop Statuit. Why is it called Statuit? Because the intro begins Statuit e Dominus Testamentum Pacis. The Lord made to him a covenant of peace, and made him a prince, that the dignity of the priesthood should be to him forever. Uh, and then there's a psalm verse, O Lord, remember David and all of his meekness. Now, the Lord made to him a covenant of peace and made him a prince. This verse comes from Ecclesiasticus, or Sirach, as it's called um, in the Protestant Bibles. Um, Sirach, chapter uh, 45, verse 30. And um, it's one of, this is one of the Deuterocanonical books, by the way. But it's talking about Phineas. Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, um, who um, killed a, 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 a fornicating couple, <laughs> um, sort of shish kebab style, uh, in flagrante delectio, as they say. And he took, uh, he took a sword or, some, or a spear, I think, and he speared them together because this particular act of fornication was, God was punishing the Israelites for it at that moment, and he knew about it because he had told them not to have anything to do with these pagan nations, and there was a Jew who um, was having illicit relations with the pagan woman, and Phineas put an end to that. So uh, God uh, made with him a covenant of peace. Well, the church takes this verse and applies it to bishops, to martyr bishops, That and it's kind of interesting because Phineas was a priest, he was a he was a priest. He was the grandson of Aaron, and he was in that Aaronic line of priests. Um, yet Phineas shed somebody else's blood as, as part of his fidelity to priesthood. Um, in the Christian dispensation, it's a bit different. Um, clerics are not supposed to be men of blood, so therefore um, the the application here is kind of a flip side, right? It's showing and it's showing the superiority of the New Testament of the Old. One of the many ways it is. Because our bishops die. They shed their blood. They don't shed blood. All right, so uh, the epistle for this particular Mass is actually speaking about um, the blessings that come from temptation. So if you look, by the way, I, I should rattle off a list of some of what I've called God's priorities. So let me just do this before I go into the, um, the rest of these propers here. Um, if you want to look at some of the themes of these masses, which illustrate, I think, God's priorities, um, we have blessed temptation. In other words, not temptation to sin so much as trials, huh? Um, the, what I'm calling the totality of the Christian commitment it's all or nothing with Jesus Christ. You don't negotiate with him. It's not like, yeah, yeah, I'll follow you, you know, this far, and then, you know, like, don't do something extreme and expect me to follow you. You know, that's not how it works. I sort of cut out after this time. Um, that's uh, that's not the nature of the Christian commitment. It has to be total. And, I, and I'm not saying everyone has to follow the life, life of the councils. Um, and be monks or nuns or something. I mean, it's got to be total in the sense of it does not admit of any infidelity. 
to Jesus Christ. The value of the councils is that it removes the obstacles to following Christ. In fact, St. Thomas says that the essence of religious life is the sequela Christi, the following of Christ. Poverty, and he's talking about this in context of poverty, poverty is simply a means to this so that we can follow Christ. Uh, but it's true of all the of all of the other councils. Pardon me. Let me get a sip of water so I don't keep tripping on myself. Okay, thank you. Um, so, the totality of the Christian commitment. I will point that out when I come to a gospel that illustrates that from these masses. Uh, the fruitfulness of things that we don't seem to think are fruitful. Of course, there's a fruitfulness of virginity and the consecrated life, and there's a fruitfulness of bishops who. Um, are never allowed to have offspring. For bishops, from I don't care what anybody tells you, from day one in the Christian dispensation, bishops didn't have children. Married men who had children became bishops, but they no longer lived mori auxuria with their wives. And this is carefully documented in the history of the church. Um, people who say this didn't happen until it happened in the West in one of the Lateran councils in, in the 1000s, they're smoking dope. They don't know the history of it. Um, I can explain exactly what, what the point it was that was made at that Lateran council. But I don't want to go on a tangent now. Um, anybody got a question about that? Shoot me one of those short emails I talk about at the beginning of every show. Um, I can send you some things that I've written based upon some excellent scholarly books that I've read. All right. Um, the true crowning with glory and honor, uh, bearing one's cross. Obviously, you would expect that. That's probably the first thing you'd expect in, in a mass uh, of a martyr. Uh, of course, the necessity of grace, what true virtue is, God's fidelity to his own promises. In other words, we're faithful to him. He's faithful to us. There's a, a, a divine reciprocity on God's part to his martyrs, to his faithful ones. Um, deliverance, the true notion of Christian deliverance or liberation. Some of these uh, prayer, some of these masses uh, very beautifully talk about martyrdom as, as being the sparrow that's let out of the snare. You know, he's been trapped and then he's let out of the trap. Um, the fear of God uh, and the necessity of good works. So this is just a small laundry list of God's priorities that are um, illustrated in these masses of martyrs. So, uh, the epistle from James 1, 12 to 18, from this first mass for a martyr bishop, Statuit, goes like this. Dearly beloved, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he hath been proved, he shall receive the crown of life, which God hath promised to them that love him. Let no man, when he is tempted, say that he is tempted by God, for God is not a tempter of evils, and he tempteth no man. But every man is tempted by his own concupiscence, being drawn away and allured. Then when concupiscence hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. But sin, when it is completed, begetteth death. Do not err, therefore, my dearest brethren, every best gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no change nor shadow of alteration. For of his own will he hath begotten us by the word of truth, that we might be some beginning of his creature. So, all, all these best gifts and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights to us, and it's that that will allow us to endure these temptations. I think that's the point that St. James is making here. And uh, we're blessed if we endure those temptations. But, of course, we have to cooperate with those best gifts and perfect gifts of grace that come to us from the Father. God doesn't tempt us to sin, 
but God tries us by these circumstances in which we are tempted to sin. And if we pass the trial, then we're blessed. Obviously, the flip side of that is, on an apologetic note, if we don't pass the test, we fail, right? And we're not blessed. Um, again, against once saved, always saved, against sola scriptura, against, uh, well, not against sola scriptura so much as against sola fides, faith alone. Um, the gospel for this same mass, and again, it's the first mass of a martyr bishop, Statuit, um, at that time, it's taken from Luke 14, 26 to 33. This, is, this illustrates what I call the totality of the Christian commitment. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And Brother Francis said, you can't hear our Lord say something like that and think he was just a nice man. <laughs> that's, that's obviously something much more. He wasn't just some profound ethical teacher. He's much more than that. And whosoever doth not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to these examples and then see how he wraps it up at the end. For which of you, having a mind to build a tower, doth not first sit down and reckon the charges that are necessary, whether he hath wherewithal to finish it? In other words, can he budget this thing right? Uh, Lest after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king about to go to make war against another king doth not first sit down and think whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him with him that with 20,000 cometh against him? Or else, while the other is yet afar off, sending an embassy, he desireth conditions of peace. Now, what are these examples for? He's not giving you advice on building towers and fighting wars. Um, he's giving an example of, yeah, if you're going to do this, do it right. Uh, so likewise, every one of you that doth not renounce all that he possesseth cannot be my disciples. Now, yes, there were people like the spiritual Franciscans who were heretics uh, and others throughout the history of the church, the Waldensians, who thought that this and similar passages um, recommending the Council of Poverty uh, thought that this meant all Christians were sworn to a life of poverty. In other words, poverty was a commandment, not a counsel. But that's not the case. That's actually a heresy. Uh, the church has always defended private property. But what our Lord is saying is we have to renounce everything that gets in his way every and everything, consequently, that gets in our way of going to him. If, if we cannot follow Christ because we're too laden down with stuff, well, we gotta, we've got to get rid of the stuff and follow Christ. And that, and that pertains to so many things. Now, again, in the economy of salvation, martyrs illustrate this in perhaps the most dramatic um, or extreme way. Uh, but a, a fortiori, or um, yeah, it, it applies to all of us in our lives by a similar argument. It's not really an a fortiori argument, but it, it gives us a, um, an illustration. If, if, we have, if the martyrs had to go even to death in order to follow Christ, certainly I can give up my sinful attachment to this, that, or the other thing, or this, that, or the other person that's standing in the way of my salvation. And this is why Jesus can talk about hating father, mother, sister, brother, yea, even his own self, for my sake. If a man doesn't isn't willing to do that, 
he's not worthy. And what is he saying? Our Lord commands honoring father and mother in the, the Decalogue. It's not an option. But as soon as someone or something is an obstacle to your salvation, you have to have a total commitment to Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about, this total Christian commitment thing. You have to have a total commitment to Jesus Christ and be willing to set that thing aside, even if it's a person, and turn away from that person so that you can follow Christ. Because if that person's going to turn away, turn you away from Jesus Christ, that person is your enemy in, in, in the most real sense of that word. If that person's not your enemy, the word enemy doesn't mean anything. All right, so the offertory for that mass, my truth and my mercy shall be with him and my and my and in my name shall his horn be exalted. So this is showing you know, God's mercy will be with him. This is the martyr bishop. God's mercy will be with him. So it's the fruit of grace. Martyrdom is ultimately the fruit of grace. If it were all our effort, it wouldn't be a, a real thing. It wouldn't be a Christian thing. But it's it's the fruit of grace. The communion verse once have I sworn in my holiness, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, and as the moon perfect forever, and a faithful witness in heaven. This is from Psalm 88, and from Psalm, um, yeah, so Psalm 88, verses 36, 37, 38. Now, why did I, why did I want to state this one? It talks about his seed that shall endure forever. You know, we're talking about bishops here. They don't have children. Uh, again, unless it was before they were consecrated bishops, but uh, most bishops don't have children. So what's the idea here? Um, not obviously his physical seed, but his his the, his his spiritual offspring. So f- spiritual fatherhood is being recommended here. The second mass for martyr bishops is the Sacerdotes Dei, because named so because it begins. Uh, Sacerdotes Dei Benedicere Dominum. O ye priests of the Lord, bless the Lord. O ye holy and humble of heart, praise the Lord. It comes from Daniel chapter 3. And um, here we have an epistle from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Brethren, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we also may be able to comfort them who are in all distress, by the exhortation wherewith we also are exhorted by God. Uh, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also by Christ doth our comfort abound. So this idea of comfort... Okay, you expect to hear blood and gore and carry a cross and things like that, but the emphasis here is on comfort. But it's what? It's comfort amid suffering, so keep listening. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also by Christ doth our comfort abound. Now, whether we be in tribulation, it is for your exhortation and salvation, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation, or whether we be exhorted, it is for your exhortation and salvation, which worketh the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So notice he's talking about his own sufferings being something that will help to save the Corinthians. That our hope for you may be steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, consolation in Christ resulting from suffering in Christ. So, uh, this is something that St. Paul is applying 
to himself, and he's he's as he said elsewhere, you know, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Saint Paul actually holds himself up uh, as an example. Uh, the gradual from that mass is from Psalm eight, verses six to seven. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast set him over the works of thy hands, O Lord. So this is showing not only the comfort that the martyrs have, but also the crown, the honor, the glory that they get. And from the earliest days of Christianity, we of the Catholic Church, that is, we called martyrs, we referred to martyrs as being crowned with martyrdom. Uh, he was crowned with martyrdom in thus and such a way. Uh, and it's based upon this scriptural usage here, God honoring them by crowning them. So the tract, uh, if that mass is a tract, because if it's said it, during Septuagesitide or Lent, blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, he delighteth exceedingly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the righteous shall be blessed. Glory and wealth shall be in his house, and his justice remaineth forever and ever. So again, this idea of fruitfulness, of fecundity in a, in a, in a celibate. Um, obviously, it's something of a spiritual nature. Um, and also the prosperity, the wealth that's spoken of here. It's obviously a spiritual sort of prosperity that will continue uh, as, as a result of the fruit of this man's martyrdom. The gospel comes from Matthew 16. Um, At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For he that will save his life shall lose it, and he that shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his own soul? Or what exchange shall a man give for his own soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will he render to every man according to his faith? No, no, actually, according to his works is what it says here. Maybe that's not, maybe it's different in the Protestant Bible. But it, uh, yeah, that was a joke. In the Protestant Bible, it's works too. They just don't read that part. So every man is going to be judged according to his own works. Um, so there is uh, the gospel for that Mass. Um, again, the communion verse talks about God sitting a crown upon his head. Now, and it's from Psalm 20. Let's go to the next Mass. This is a martyr, not a bishop. Um, it's the first Mass of such a martyr. It's in virtute, which, because uh, it begins, in virtute tua domine, letabitur justus. In thy strength, O Lord, the just man shall joy, or shall rejoice. And in thy salvation he shall rejoice exceedingly. Thou hast given him his heart's desire, etc. Um, so we have here somebody, um, again, and there's this notion of crowning again at the end of this intro, it, uh, crowning his head with a, with a crown of precious stones. Uh, so joy, I mean, true joy, obviously, is something that we get in heaven, uh, everlasting joy. But when again, when we think of martyrdom, it's easy to think of the pain, the agony, the blood, the gore, uh, the horrors of the martyrdom. Yet the, the masses that we use to celebrate these martyrs speak of joy. The epistle is from the Old Testament, so it's really a lesson, and it's from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 10, verses 10 to 14. The Lord conducted the just through the right ways and showed him the kingdom of God and gave him the knowledge of holy things, made him honorable in his labors and accomplished his labors. In the deceit of them that uh, overreached him, 
He stood by him. He, meaning God, stood by him. So this is God's fidelity to his martyrs and made him honorable. He kept him safe from his enemies and he defended him from seducers and gave him a strong conflict that he might overcome and know that wisdom is mightier than all. By the way, in the context, this passage from wisdom is talking about Jacob of the Old Testament. The next is talking about Joseph of the Old Testament. The next verse, he forsook not the just when he was sold, but delivered him from sinners. He went down with him into the pit And in bands he left him not, until he brought him to the scepter of his kingdom, and power against those that oppressed him, and showed them to be liars that had accused him, and the Lord our God gave him everlasting glory. So this concept of deliverance and God's fidelity, God God delivers, he liberates. Now, in the Old Testament, in the story of Joseph, I think one of the most favorite stories that people often have in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. Um, and, you know, sold into Egyptian slavery and so forth, and he ends up very providentially being the salvation of Israel. Um, and he's clearly a type of Christ there. He's clearly also a type of St. Joseph, who, who who's named after him. Um, but we see an idea of deliverance. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the deliverance was made in this life. It was shown, you know, he was he was in prison. He was thrown in a pit. He was going to be killed. Then his, and his dad thinks he's dead. Then he, then he goes to Egypt, and then he gets thrown into prison. All kinds of bad things happen to him. He's a slave. But then he rises up to be the number two man in the, in the kingdom of, of Egypt. Uh, and he gets delivered, and he becomes a deliverer himself. So in the Old Testament, you frequently see the rewards in this life. In the New Testament, not so much so. Uh, so that we we understand we have this concept of delayed gratification, and uh, we look at somebody suffering, somebody like Saint Joseph at, or or you know take a really gory example, Saint Andrew Babola, um, who was literally taken into a butcher shop and slowly killed by some really really deranged, um, I think they were um, Tartars. Um, who were working in in the um, service of the of the schismatic Czar of Russia, and this Jesuit was um, slowly chopped to bits by these freaks. Um, he had wedges crammed up his between his fingernails. So all of his fingernails were violently ripped off. It was really the the Congregation of Rights said that this is the most gory martyrdom. Uh, in, in, that, that the Congregation of Rights had ever formally investigated.